Good morning, everybody. It is a pleasure to see everyone. Let's, le- let's learn a little bit of Torah here together. So we are learning the topic of bar and bat mitzvah today. I um, mean, we're going through this a little bit in detail. We've all done this in, in one way or another. So we all, so in a certain way, get to know this or be acquainted with this. But we don't really always put some thought into how this really works precisely. So this is a little bit of a background on this. Um, some of the, stuff, the ideas are well known. Some of the ideas are lesser well known as to how this operates. And Bezra, the next time we have the opportunity of celebrating, we will have the opportunity of doing this with a more profound perspective. So let's start at the very beginning. First of all, a, a special thank you to Sri Stern, who's sponsoring this entire series, Be- Bezra Sashem. Let us, let, let us uh, learn. Um, so the, 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 the question is like, so how do we know this is a thing? Like, how do we know that, that a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah is a, is a thing? Like, where, do, where does this even come from? Do we, like, see, we know we celebrate a bar mitzvah. We know we celebrate a bat mitzvah, but like, where does that even come from? Uh, so before we even get there, what does the word um, bar or bat mitzvah literally mean? Like, what is it actually, actually the, the, the translation of the words? A bar, uh, a, ba- a bar is not the alcohol. <laughs> um, a bar, in fact, is the Aramaic translation of the word. Ben. ben. So it's a ben mitzvah and a bas mitzvah. Somebody becomes under a mitzvah, so to speak. They are a child of, they are now wearing or carrying the mitzvahs in a certain sense. Um, which means that they're obligated. So the question then becomes, okay, so how do we see that? Like, where are the Jewish sources that this really matters? So we know it's the case, but wh- where do we know this even from? So, so there's a number of places I'm sure we're all very familiar. Mishnah Pirkavo says, Ben Chamesh Lemikra, a child at the age of five should start learning Chumash. That's, um, that we do it around first grade. So that's, uh, that's all, uh, around there. Ben Esther Lemishnah, um, that at the age of 10 is for learning Mishnayas. And Ben Shlosh Yisrael Lemitzvahs. And 13 is for Mitzvahs, referring to a boy, of course. So Mishnah takes us as, as, uh, for granted that a child at the age of 13 is reaching that stage. And there's many, many rabbinic texts which relate to this. So like, for instance, it says in Parashas Toldos, Vayigdalu Hana Arim. The boys grew, or the, the, the lads grew older. What does it mean, Who's it referring to, first of all? Yaakov and Esau, the twins. So what does that mean? The, the, the Medrash actually says, Rabbi Levi Omar, Moshal Lahadas Vatzbunit, Shoyugadalim Ze Al so we're talking about a, you know, a myrtle and some sort of thorn bush that are intermingling with each other. They grow next to each other. Once they reach the stages of blossoming, they reach the stages of, stages of maturity. This one produces a beautiful smell like the myrtle does. And this one produces its thorns. Meaning to say it's the stage when you see the true nature, the true character of that, of, of that, of that entity. And therefore, the, it goes and says, "Kach call yud gimel shana shnehem holch in the base of sefer shnehem boim in the base of sefer lachar yud gimel shana zayal lech lebate medrashos zayal lech lebate of davaros kochavim." Up till now, they're going to the same. They're getting on the same school bus. Yeah, Yaakov and Esav are going through the same school system, the same teachers. Once they reach maturity, that is the time when now suddenly. Their true nature is now being displayed as a whole, and the and the, and the Midrash goes on to, further to say, "Amar Rebbe Lazar." From here we see, "Tzarech Adam leitapel bivnoi ad yud gimel shana mikan va'elach tzarech shiyomer baruch shepotrani mi ansho shelzeh." You've got to invest as much effort as you can before the age of thirteen with your son, and then afterwards you've got to say, 
Blessed be Hashem who allowed me to be um, exempt of the punishment of this, which means to say the most formative time in, uh, in, forma- in the character formation of a child is up to the age of 13. Afterwards, in a certain sense, we lose control to a certain degree. Obviously, we're involved and we put on limits and we give support and all those things. But in terms of, in terms of this, this is when their, their true character um, emerges as well. Actually, I was just of a Shabbos, Shalom said, to me, once once your girls reach the, the age of teenagehood, you hide under the table for four years, and then and then everything uh, comes back and it all works out later on. Baruch Hashem, there needs to be a lot of work beforehand if you want to make sure that's going to work, um, going to happen, and it's a, it's um, it is a special opportunity. So we see it's the case, but then the question is, is so why did the Torah arbitrarily? Meaning, it's it's clear it's replete in rabbinic traditions. The question is, does, is this an arbitrary? Um, decision as to why this should be. The truth is, is that, that not not at all. The the the, the Mishnah in Meseches Nida describes the the difference between men, young men and young women, and it's describing in terms of nadarim. So um, the 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 Mishnah says Bas When a girl turns eleven, at that point in time. We uh, analyze her vows, meaning to say we start taking seriously things she says because she now has the maturity to make decisions and she can make restrictive decisions about her own life. She can start saying things which have impact in her own life. Um, and we know that, that, that there's a certain degree of veto right a father may have over, over her, her Nadari, but she needs to know what she means first. But at 12 years and one day, her nadarim are um, extant. And she will be che- and, and you examine her through the through the twelfth year. Her, uh, and a similar thing with her boy, but it's at twelve years old you start checking his nadarim, and at thirteen is when they are kayamim. The Gemara goes on to explain that this relates to, in fact, puberty. This story relates to to, to puberty, which means to say that physiologically. A girl at the age of 12 will start developing um, signs of puberty. The Gomorrah, the ones that the, the stage of the Gomorrah focuses on is pubic hair, as an example, as, as, a, as a description. And the boys will develop that later. It's interesting, um, to, to technically speaking, the, the age of start of puberty, depending on how you, re, how you measure it, is a range of years. And um, for girls, it is, it is between 8 and 13, and for boys, it's between 9 and a half or 9 and 14. So boys are slower, slower, later bloomers in general, which is reflected in the day, later year as well. Now, in the reform movement today, it's all very much egalitarian. It's like, bar and bat mitzvahs is 13, so why, why should the girls be different? But the truth is, is whenever you try to even the playing fields to make sure that everybody feels, feel, feels happy, you're ignoring, in this case, a physiological reality, which is that girls reach puberty and therefore maturity earlier than boys do. And that's celebrated in the, in the, in the framework of, of, um, of halacha as well. So then the question is, is so... But why should that really, why should that matter as well, right? So, uh, like, so what's, what's the point of that? So it, it, the, the, the Gemara actually describes, um, you say, how does, how does Torah and Halacha relate to a physiological reality? Like, what's, what's the relationship between those two, those two stages? So Gemara in, in the same area, um, on Daf Memvav Mem, Mem, tells us, the bottom page two, take a look at this. The Gemara says, Ish neder, Ma Tamud Lama, why does it tell us that a man makes a neder? That when a child or a boy who's just turned 13 years old will make a vow, 
at the age of 13, the vow is relevant, the vow is extant, even if he doesn't fully understand it. Hey, so the Gemara says, what case are we dealing with on the top of page 3? If the child is not start producing pubic hairs, that was, they are not physiologically at the stage of puberty, then then we consider that child to be a minor. No, it must be that they already physiologically reach the stage of puberty. But time at the Meaning, if the child will produce pu- pu- uh, signs of puberty before the age of 13 for a boy, that's irrelevant, right? We, we say that's uh, is, is, is that's Khalif Neisman. But once a child has the stages of puberty and reaches 13, then that at that point in time we consider the child to be to be of um, of age. So then it sounds like from the way the Gemara is framing it is there's really two moving there's two moving pieces here. There is actually the physiological development and there is we'll call this the age, the age of 13. How do we relate to to the two of them? Where, where was 13 picked then in that case? So this is talked about in the early Rishonim and the Rosh as one example. And the, the, the Mariel has, um, similarly says that the age of 13 is what's called a halacha l'moshim Sinai. It's not something which the rabbis derived, assumed, you know, did an average, an average under the bell curve. What it is is that Moshe Rabbeinu at Sinai received the tradition from Hashem that boys at 13, girls at 12. You may argue that Hashem is giving us an average, and, uh, but that's not our department or trying to figure that out. Yes, doesn't match up with physio- uh, physiological, we'll call it, d- development of a child into the age of maturity. It may. But the, the point is, is that this is what the Torah told us, uh, gave, gave us as a, tra- as a oral tradition as to when the child becomes the right age. Moses? Why did Abraham pick 13 to be small? He didn't. That was when God told him to give him bris oh, Meaning to say, in that case, it wasn't that Hashem says, there's time for a bar mitzvah party, let's go get the DJ. What he, uh, Hashem said, you need to circumcise, and the reason why Avraham Avinu was circumcised at that time was because he was about to be blessed with a child. So therefore he got this bris. It happened to be that Yishimol happened to be 13 at the time. That was because of Yilid Beisai, right? That was all the people in his, in, under his, uh, under his uh, umbrella. Yeah, that was not, that was not the... Actually, there is a measure that the Yohini Gamel doesn't just go on bris or weaning, it goes on by mitzvah. Personally, that's by Yitzhak. That's by Yitzchak. Not by, by Yishmael, right, yeah. Right, that's, but a probably makes a party. So there you go, yeah, so... That's it was, the party, very interesting, very interesting. Now, so that, that, that is an interesting an, an interesting thing. So yes, yeah, so by Yishmael, not. It is interesting that in, that in, in the Arab tradition, 13 is, uh, has, has sort of retained that, that, that uh, importance, in a certain sense, of, of the age of, uh, of uh, maturity as well. And that's, that's from the way they read, the, the, or uh, must read, the end of, of Pasha's Lech Lecha as well. Um, this rush that, that the Rav's quoting now, it, it seems there's a lani b'chlal shi'urim. So it's the same thing like a shi'ur, kezai eskepeya, also godless, that's what the Rav seems to say. Correct. So what I mean to say is that there are certain things where like, why should it be that the, we'll call the default measurement of eating in halacha is a kezayis, right? Why, why is it that, you know, that, that arba al arba amos is the size of a house? In terms of, let's say, the chiyav of mezuzah, there's certainly what's called shiurim, the Gemara list in Sukkot Avdalat, where where it describes this is the way that we. So those are what's assumed to be as Allah Lamash Mishnah. We they, they make sense, meaning to say, you need a, a space, 50 square feet, in order to be able to live, right? To to be able to put a bed there at the very least, and that's what the it, it, you know requires the mezuzah. But in the end of the day. Right, that, that, that's all conjecture. The reason we do it is because it's Allah, which is why there is no dispute. 
And they dispute as to what the shear, like what an ama is, but not the, what, not the fact that Arba Amas is the, is the shear. And the similar, the similarly, with, uh, he puts in the same category of bar and bat mitzvah, that's, that's what we received as well. If that's the case, then according to the Rosh, it seems that the most important thing really is, is the age, right? There are others who, 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 say, who say similarly, like the Maharit in his response says, is that really puberty is not really, the, 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 we'll call it the, the arrival at puberty. The physiological development of a young boy and a young girl is an indicator, is an indicator that they have arrived of age. Meaning to say, what's the predominant factor is age, right? Is the Torah tells us 13 or 12, and it happens to be, you will also notice that their bodies will start changing around that time, right? But that's but the main point is, is what we were told. Meaning to say, this is, this is when, it, when it, it, it's relevant. That's what he calls a siman rather than a siba, right? It is an indicator that, 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 that something's happening when you see the child developing. But the Torah really says this is the age of maturity. This is the age of responsibility. This is the age where things have, have, have reached um, the, the, the point of what we'll called independence as well. The way that the Gemara frames it, these are all different ways of looking at the same, trying to balance the same idea. Their development and the, the responsibility. The way the Gemara describes it is what's called, without going through all the details on page four, is what's called Chazaka de Rava. Rava, the way Rava, one of the mid-generation Amoraim, understands it, is really, um, is really, it's actually the top of page five, without going through the entire Gemara. He says, Why do you need after the stage of 13 to do a Bidika, which is to do a, uh, to, or in this case a girl, to do, a, to do an examination to see has she reached the, uh, the stage of purity. Um, so the, the, the Rava explains that generally speaking, you don't need to check if a child is pubescent, right? You don't need to see, is this child in fact developing as they should? Now, today, these days, everybody goes to the pediatrician, you know, every year on their birthday, and the pediatrician says, very good, or you should be doing a little more, right? So, so you, do, you don't need to do that, according to, according to Rava, under normal circumstances, because it's what's called a chazaka. A chazaka means an assumption in the place of having to check reality. So that means to say that really 13 and 12 is the, is the age of development, is the age of responsibility, manhood, womanhood. And it happens to be that we assume at that stage that by that time, the child is developing um, physiologically to reflect that, uh, that, that, that entrance into adolescence. That seems to be the way that we pass in halacha. Because the Shulchan Aruch says, in fact, when it comes to this, in the halachas of Kriyashma, on page 5, If a child does not start developing signs of pu- puberty, which is reflected in pubic hairs, but the Gishonor says that really you need to have actually physiological development. The Ramah, Ashkenazim Paskin, we don't start making children go to pediatricians and have examinations. We, uh, we assume that at the age of 12 and 13, the child is in what we call the stage of puberty, and therefore um, they, they would be considered adults. The Mishabura, when discuss, discussing this, says, yes, but, which means to say, when it comes to the halachas that the Shulchan Aruch is referring to over here, which is in the halachas of tefillah, right, in Simon and Hayyan Arachayim, that ref- that, that's all right to make that assumption, what's called Chazaka Darava. But there are times where you can't make the Chazaka Darava. You can't assume that the child is, is in fact an adolescent. And that is when it comes to something which is not a Dindar Rabbonin, like Tvila, but when there's a Dindar Raisa, 
which is why the custom has developed, and this is always a very sticky question, but that's why it's always important to, to, to articulate it, is around Parshas Zachar or Parshas Para, which may be a requirement Mida Arisa to, to read. So everybody has to listen, and everybody comes to Shul for Parshas Zachar. So you really, if you have a Bar Mitzvah, that Shabbos, it shouldn't be the Bar Mitzvah boy who's reading that. Complicated, complicated, and a little delicate situation. Um, because, you know, the option is, you say, you could go to the pediatrician, right? And, and, uh, and then we don't have to rely on an assumption, right? We can assume that the child has reached, uh, has reached puberty, but that's the, that it's not usually a very comfortable conversation. Uh, but it is worthwhile knowing, and it's to, to, to appreciate, that generally speaking, we assume a child is, is a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah le kol davar. When it comes to a boy and is doing the learning of the Torah, if it's a chiyav d'oraisa, that particular Shabbos, one has to be a little more sensitive to the, to, to, to the way this is done as well. And this relates to the balance between the Hegiya Shinoisov, the idea of arriving at the years, and that relationship to the, the actual signs of puberty. Is it a simon? Is it a sibba? Is, is it a reason? Or is it, a, or is it or is simply an indicator? How do the two relate to each other? And it seems that we assume, we, we, take, the, we, we take it as an assumption that the, that the two work in tandem unless... The stakes are higher. That's what it sounds like is the way that we, we do things as well. So it's this, it's, it's, this, it's this funny balance between the way we have to regulate society, right? Because you can't, you can't have a situation in which every child is treated differently, right? That doesn't work. On the other hand, there has to, right, so there has to be some sort of general, we'll call, way that it works. And at the same time, there are unique circumstances for each child as well. We assume for most, most matters 12 or 13, that's it, we're done and we're good and everything is fine. Now you'll say, okay, all this would have been so much simpler if the Torah just said this, right? <laughs> so the Torah should have just ex explicated this and said, okay, listen here. So when all, this whole business, all these 613 commandments, this all comes into play when the, when the boy is 13, when the girl's 12, it would have made things so much easier. I mean, it's like, it, that's like the ABCs, right? Because like there's this whole program, it's called Torah and Torah and Mitzvahs and Chukim Mishpatim and all this business. So explain to us, tell us. This is this is how it starts. It's it's a it's a it seems like a flawed a flawed perspective to tell us everything, but not know when it starts or finishes, right? If you were to read the Torah from start to finish, Bereshis Bara to Leinekol Israel, you would you would assume that the Torah is 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 incumbent upon every individual from the day they're born, right? There's no indicator otherwise that a child is not. Now there is there is the notion of counting when it comes to army, Kol in Parshas Midbar. So we do know the you know the notion of 20 years old and that making a difference. But you could say that was just well called for conscription, for, you know, because physically they're going to be involved. But there's no other indicator explicitly in the Torah. So why doesn't the Torah just say that? Say, this is the day and this is how you celebrate. And so so the, there's a beautiful Chassam Sofer in the Torah who's, who makes observation. He says that it's not just that that day is missing. There's another day in the Jewish calendar which is also missing. And that's called Shavua. It says, Man Matan Torah Seinu. If you read the entire Torah from the beginning till the end, there's never an indicator that Shavuos is the time of Matan Torah. Yes, Shavuos is the festival of Zman Abikurim, of the first fruits, and the Korbanos which are brought, the Shteh and it's the end and the culmination of the cycle of the 49 days, but there's no indicator in the Torah that this was the day of Matan Torah. We have to go and do the work, we have to do the Cheshbon, and we say, okay, well, 49 days, then Moshe Rabbeinu goes up, and there's this three-day gap, and then there's, right, and, the, and it's the Rosh Chodesh Sivan, and then, and then we do this whole thing, we're like, oh, look at that. It's the same, it's the same holiday, which is why, like, a lot of 
you know, sort of in the, the resurgence of the Chalotzim, when the, the secular Jews came back to, to, to the land of Israel, how do they celebrate Shavuot? These are like, like farm parades. They brought out their tra tractors and they brought all the produce in the back and they drove them through and they made a whole, you know, spring festival. That was how, that was how it was celebrated. Why? Because they looked in the Bible and that's all the Bible says, right? It doesn't talk about anything to do with Torah. So why is that, why is that, is that uh, not discussed? And there are a lot of reasons as to this. But the Chassam Sofer says a very simple reason. And that is, uh, <clears throat> is the day of Matan Torah was the day that we received the responsibility of being Jews. We, we were no longer just a nation. We became now officially in the program. And if that's the case, the Torah can't tell us that today is a day to celebrate because that should be an automatic outcome of being part of the system. Meaning, it's, it's kind of like the, you know, the teacher says, okay, folks, now, you, now you're in eighth grade. Now you're in ninth grade. This is a big day. So we're going to mandate that you celebrate that you're now reached high school. It's like, not that, nobody's going to celebrate because they're told to. Nobody's going to act differently because they're told to. No, that's the outcome of arrival. So the Torah de-emphasizes, the Torah de-emphasizes Matan Torah, Shavuos being Matan Torah, because when we receive the Torah, that should automatically be the time of celebration. In the same way, says the, this Chazim Sovechein, beyond Bar Mitzvah, on the day of a Bar Mitzvah, the Torah is not going to emphasize that this is the day of a, of a Bar Mitzvah, because the Torah wants it to be that automatically when you enter the stage, yes, in the rabbinic tradition, we're going to know what it is. Now, Lachal HaMashu is saying, we're going to know this is the right time. We're not going to, the Torah is not going to say, okay, today's a day to celebrate, today's a big milestone, because then, in a certain sense, it's, it's mandating what should be an obvious reaction. What, the, the other way of, of saying this slightly differently is, is every day is Matan Torah. Really means to say, if you only celebrate Torah on one day of your <laughs> national existence or one day of your adult life, then it becomes the end point of that existence too. I remember I was discussing, there was a, I was at a shiva house once, and I met the youth director of Temple Bethel down the road. And he was the youth director there 30 years ago. So I said, tell me how it was, like what was the deal? So he said, oh, you know, there were 1,200 families, just to give you a sense of 1,200 families. That's, you know, um, that, uh, three times the size of our shul, okay, just to understand in terms of the, the, the scope. And that was only 30 years ago. I said, like, so what, what was the deal? Like, how did this work? So he says, well, you know, the true thing is, I really worked with Bar and Bat Mitzvah girls, because that was like the stage where you had them, because they had to come, they had to come to lessons and so on. So, but the truth is, after that, they were gone. That was, it. That was their bar. Literally, literally, the bar they had to get under, and after that they were gone. There was no, there was no more interest, no more. So that's what the problem is. If you make too much of a deal educationally of a day, then you essentially you, you de-emphasize afterwards, right? What the Torah is trying to say is that this is not about a day. This is about a lifestyle, right? And so the lifestyle begins now, but don't overemphasize that day because education you're going to lose everybody afterwards, and that's what happened, right? There's no, they can barely get a minion now. It's a terrible tra tragedy. It's not like they went to greener pastures for the great, for, the great, for the, 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 those kids. It wasn't like they found another shul for the, the large point. They, they found other interests in life other than Judaism. So, so if, if you think about that, that's a little bit of that educational balance in terms of how to, how to do this. And that, and that relates to the way we also celebrate this as well. A lot of emphasis. Bar and Bat Mitzvah should make a big deal of it. But a big deal of the beginning of the process, not the day itself. Um, as it's a very beautiful. How come 
Beautiful. Lachem, the needs exactly. Beautiful. Right. So it all comes it all comes together. Just a, a very interesting point. Education is this is also you see things like this where I'll just like a, as a parallel perspective, where the Torah, the, the Torah does not spend so much time focusing on olam haba. The Torah doesn't say quid pro quo. You do X here and you get Y there. The Torah doesn't say that. The Torah solves all its problems within the framework of this world, which is a very strange way of doing this. One way of explaining that, of many, is that the Torah educationally is de-emphasizing working for rewards. Right? So the Torah is not saying that there isn't reward, but it doesn't want to generate a group of people who are going to be these, we'll call spiritual hedonists. You know, keep just putting money into the slot machine because everybody is a means to their ends, which is their personal portfolio that they're going to be claiming at the end of the day. It's, it's the same kind of idea where there are important values in the Torah, but the Torah doesn't, so to speak, put in the, ascent, uh, the front, uh, front and center because it doesn't want us to be acting based on that being the, the guiding principle, which is a, a very fascinating perspective. So what are we supposed to do on this, on this day? So with the boys, it's a little easier because there's a few things. Like the Divre, uh, the, the Divre Malkiel says it's a day of celebration for a simple reason, two reasons. He says number one is, is that, that the parents are now let off the hook. You know what I mean? To say that, that if spiritually speaking, the parents no longer have the full responsibility of this, of this child. Now, let's be, let's be clear about this before we go further. Parents never get off the hook, right? <laughs> not financially, not, not in terms of vulner, being, being vulnerable. But in terms, of, in terms of sort of spiritual responsibility, I'll just tell you a, a, a scary thing. I've just always think about this. Is that when David Melech was, had terrible things happening in his life, and Hashem told him it was going to happen because of his sin with Bathsheba, that a, a Ra is going to come up from his own house. And David Melech prayed. It was a terror, and he, he, he suffered terribly, terribly for the rest of his life. One of the things he suffered with was that his son Avshalom, rebelled against him. Avshalom took over, took over his household, took over Yerushalayim. Davamelech receded. And then Davamelech was put in this very difficult place where he didn't want to harm Avshalom, yet at the same time he needed to depose of Avshalom. So he sent Yoav and he says, please don't kill him. But uh, um, uh, Avshalom had these beautiful long, long locks, these long, long hair. That was one of the reasons he kind of thought a little too much of himself. And, uh, and, he was, and he, when he was riding into battle, he got caught in a tree because his hair got caught in the, in the tree and he was hanging there. And Yoav, disobeying David, killed his son Avshalom at that time. Now, Yoav was doing all his best for David, because as long as Avshalom was in the picture, David Amalek wasn't going to come back to Yerushalayim. But David Amalek was caught in this bind as a father, where he didn't want his son to die, but he didn't want him to harm him. And, uh, and, so, and when David Amalek hears about this, he calls out this most bitter call. He says, Avshalom, Bini, Bini, Avshalom, Avshalom, Bini. And he calls out seven times. He, he, calls, he cries for his son, in, in his son's name, even though his son was trying to kill him. And, and the Rashi quotes the Medrash that he pulled him out of the Shiva Madure Gehinnom by, by calling out those seven times as he wept for his son's death. By the way, you can go visit his kever, right? Yad Avshalom is out in the Kidron Valley. So as you got the Shara Ashbot, in, uh, you wouldn't go there right now, right? Okay, well, we, we like to say it. Okay. So, so anyway, so there is what's called Yad Avshalom, where Avshalom is purportedly buried. Um, and Michael, Michael has, got, has pointed out this archaeologically, or uh, it might not be exactly the spot. But nonetheless, um, the, 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 the grave or the tomb, so to speak, of the crypt of uh, Avshalom is, is found. There's, there's, two, there's two large, we'll call it building structures, the bottom of the valley that you can see that right from, uh, um, from the, from the you call outside the Kotel. One is Yad Zachariah, and one is Zachariah HaKohen. Another one is, is Avshalom, at least that's what so it's called. You can visit them. And uh, um, the May, um, the question becomes is like, so how does that work exactly? Like in, in Judaism as opposed to Christianity, we don't believe about one person, 
taking another person out of you know out of out of the netherworlds. It doesn't work like that. Judaism doesn't believe in one person, you know, taking away other people's sins. That's a Christian kind of belief. So it doesn't mean David Melech is taking them out. You just cry about somebody and take away their, 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 their all their problems. It doesn't work like that. So um, a friend of mine, Rabbi Menachem Rosenbaum, said, said, no, no, no. <laughs> David Melech wasn't taking him out. David Melech was was calling out because he realized he created Avshalom. Right? If you if you look through the, the life of Avshalom, Avshalom was the son of his fourth wife. And David Melech, in a certain sense, always pushed him down. David Melech, because there was the whole episode of Amnon and Tamar, and Absalom, there's Amnon being killed, and then Absalom going away, and David Melech pushing him back, and wouldn't speak to him because of this, the, the terrible trial between the brothers, Absalom's sister Tamar, right? So the, the, it was raped by Amnon, the, another brother, and Absalom went and killed the brother, and David Melech didn't want him to kill him, and then he stonewalled him for, for having killed him because he was trying to educationally work this out. And David Melech never gave him the attention he, he, he really deserved, but he was a complicated character. In a certain sense, David Melech was saying, Avshalom b'ni, Avshalom, I, 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 I created the circumstances in which you suffered so much that you became this child who rebelled against me. David Melech wasn't talking about Avshalom, did he? He talked about what he did as a dad. He's for himself. In a, in a, and that's the Shuvah Derugahim, is, is the, the framework he created to create an Avshalom. And that's a very terrifying thought because in a certain sense that goes beyond Bar Mitzvah. So as a parent, we never really, really get out, out of this thing, right? We, we, we never really a, 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 a escape. But to a certain degree, the personal responsibility now shifts from the, child to, from the parent to the child. Um, but having said that, that's one aspect of celebration. But if you think about it, that's the celebration of the parents. It's like, sure. But when it comes to the child, the celebration is, is that now obligated in mitzvahs. Now what they're doing is no longer chinuch. So when they're shaking that little of an esrog, it's not as a function of the Torah said that you should be educated to do this. No, you're doing it because when the Torah says, it doesn't refer to your parent trying to, trying to teach you. It's referring to you. Now you are the subject of the Torah. That's, that's an amazing um, a, a, a stage as well. The Gemara describes Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef was a sagi nahar, which is um, could not see. He was not able to, to see. And it describes that he had different stages of understanding his own, so to speak, obligation in Torah. At the beginning, he, he heard the, the, the statement of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda said that a summer is potum in a mitzvah, that a blind person is not obligated in mitzvah. And when he heard that, he lived his life in, uh, um, as such. He, didn't, he wasn't obligated to do mitzvah. He could opt in, and he opted in many times, but he was not obligated. Then he came to the realization that maybe a summer is not obligated in mitzvah. And at that point in time, when he heard that the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda was not the predominant view in halacha, he made a large party. Why? Because he says very, very famously, um, which is the notion of God Yes, I was performing the Torah mitzvahs, but I was opting in, in when I believed that I was uh, um, exempt from the mitzvahs. Now I'm suddenly obligated and I'm so much happier to be doing the same things as an, a person who's obligated. Why? Because a person who's obligated gets much more reward than a person who's not obligated, which always seems funny because you say, the volunteers, oh, we love those volunteers, go volunteers. But Rabbi Huda, uh, ultimately Rabbi Yosef says, no, no, no. It, volunteering is, is, is wonderful and like everyone should be commended for volunteering. But in the end of the day, you can just say goodbye and good luck. You know, my shift has ended and I appreciate this. I'm taking a three-month break. I'm sorry. I hope you guys find everybody else afterwards. Right? And that, that's what happens to the volunteers. Right? Because they, they're flaky. They go away when they want. 
and the government of Oyster means to say by the fact nobody likes to be told what to do. Nobody. Like, you know, you know how it is. How do, like, especially as your kids get older and you have adult kids and you want them to do something, you make suggestions and you try to explain what might be an outside. You don't want to really say they should do it, but they're going to maybe, you know, one could do things like this. You know, we always try to get other people to do things. It's very hard to get people to do things, especially as they grow, grow into adults. Nobody likes to be told what to do. No one. So when the Torah tells us what to do, we have a natural resistance to the Torah saying, now is the time to do X. Right? Which is why some people are so averse to rabbis. Because like, they have to tell you what to do sometimes, right? And nobody wants to be told what to do. So Rav Yosef says, I am embracing the discomfort of being told what to do. Because now when I'm opting into Daven Shachris, I'm not opting in. I'm not a nice volunteer with a pat on the head and a candy at the end. No, I have to do it. And I don't want to get out of bed when it's the early winter and, and, and it's dark and it's cold. Don't. But I'm going to because I'm obligated. And that's what I'm worth, that's worth celebrating. Says the Marushal in his commentary on the Gomorrah, the Yamshal Shlomo, he says, yes, that is the reason why we celebrate Bar Mitzvahs. And Bat Mitzvahs, because in the end of the day, that's the day where it's no longer a nice thing, it's now a thing. Right? I remember, I, you know, that a, a minor can lay in maftir. You know that? So I started laying in my, in my, in my career, started at the age of 11. That was when I did my first maftir. Um, and everybody's like, oh, it's so amazing, right? You know, whenever you have children doing things, you're like, it's just so nice. You know, like, then when you become Bar Mitzvah, it's like, okay, get into the rotation, <laughs> right? Like, so, you, know, you know how it works? Right, so like, let's, you know, tuckless, right? Now, okay, so it's like, the, you know, the, the, the voice breaks, it's no longer cute, let's go, right? So, so that's really what, that's what, that's what, that's what, that's what's happening. Rabbi Yosef says is I'm, I'm now, I now have to do this. And I'll have to do this. That's what Bar Mitzvah is. Is it's no longer cute. It's no longer nice. It's no longer voluntary. Um, and, and that's part of what's being celebrated over here as well. Um, so what you want to do on the Bar Mitzvah? So the Maril uh, quotes in his halachas um, that a Bar Mitzvah boy should read the Torah and say the, bro- the brachas in the Torah and the father should say brach shepotranimi on shesholzeh. Um, the, the Minagim of the city of Worms recounted that, the, that on the Shabbos after the Bar Mitzvah, the, 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 the young man should read, so should also do the tefillah. And specifically, there was a, a tune that he talked about, which was sung to Vayazor, Vayage, and Vayoshia, which is the beginning of the Torah reading on Shabbos. And of course, he should read the Sefer Torah as well. Um, in the Meseches Smachos, there's a, a whole discussion as to what kind of things you're allowed to throw or should be throwing for bar mitzvahs and chasanim and kalos as to when celebrating with them. In those days, it was egozim and clear. Uh, these were things which would not be destroyed when they are throwing. Today, we pay fine money for all kinds of uh, terrible things that nobody eats except for the children, but we throw, we throw them, and that's part of the celebration as well. Yeah, David. Why, I mean, not that I'm opposed to it, because obviously I'm, I'm in it, but why should a pharmacist boy, like, what's the, what's the reason that he should read from the Torah? Is it because that, just specifically for that week, or that he should learn how to read from the Torah? Uh, that's a good question. So I'll give you everybody's David's number afterwards, because uh, he's a uh, uh, wonderful, wonderful bar mitzvah teacher, and uh, who's now teaching our second son um, r- uh, r- right now as we as we speak. And uh, um, it, it, they don't say why. They don't say why. Um, but uh, if I were asked, meaning to say, it, it it seems to be that this is part of the responsibility of being a person who's a contributing member of the community, and part of the contributing member of the community is. Is the rotation. It's not that we just outsource to really people who are, good, who are great ballet career, whom we have wonderful ballet career in the show, but you're supposed to be part of this, and this is a way of, of entering that as well. Um, it is worthwhile noting that, especially today, this is not something which everybody can hack, right? So there are, there are, there are boys 
um, who just this is not. I was just speaking to somebody whose 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 son is is um, uh, right right there at that stage, and they were like, and they spent like a year trying to convince them to do, you know, the maftir, right, and the haftorah, right. It's just just the maftir and the haftorah, and they're gonna make a party, and they finally convinced him, and then they were busy deciding on the the you know the monogram for the yamukas, and uh, and uh, this is where bar mitzvahs are at. And, uh, and, and the boy came to, to, his, to his parents and saw, uh, you know, with tears in his eyes, and he says, Mom and Dad, like, who are you doing this for? So I, I really just don't, I don't want this. I really don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want the party. I don't want the, re- I don't want the laning. I don't want the whole thing. And he says, I, I, I want to go to Israel, and we'll do, we'll do some chesed projects, and that's going to be my thing. And that was his thing. And that, that to him was what, what really was. And then, so sometimes we do force a round peg into square holes, and everyone has to be careful about knowing, knowing the child. Um, however, at the same time, it, the, this is an important bar. We, one shouldn't underestimate the importance of what we'll call communal involvement, not just as a, as a cute thing, but as an important thing. Yes, Eliyad. Uh, I've heard that in certain communities in Israel, it's the father of the Bambitra boy who reigns. Uh, on, uh, I mean, that's, a, that's a nice thing and everything, but like, it's like there's no, there's, no, there's no trick in that. So I'm like, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it sounds nice, but at the end of the day, I, I hear that. It just, and, and it certainly shields the child, but... I, yeah, we, 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 it is less pressure, and we don't want to put more pressure. We don't want to make so much pressure. At the same time, the truth is, kids rise to the bar we give, we, we give them as well. So yes, be, in individual circumstances, we will we we are very understanding, but we should not underestimate the capacity of our children if we create a framework in which they can do that so as well. The very least, an alia, the, the boy needs to get an aliyah. There's no question. So but the, the but laning, they should lay, they should lane if they're able to do the, to do that. And we've created a society where everything becomes such a big thing. It's like then, yeah, you can expect children, but it, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's a, it's a bad thing, but it, we should, we, the, the, in general, in society, things are becoming, you know, effort is becoming less, and uh, why should I, the, is, 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 more, is more involved as well. I actually happened to have the opportunity of, um, recently I was at a dinner with a woman from a conservative community, very, very wonderful woman, and I said, what do you do? She says, well, I'm retired now, and my thing is working with bar and bat mitzvah girls. So I said, well, what do you do? Like, what's, what, I was so interested. So she was, she was saying that what she does is she reaches out. She's not in a rabbinic capacity. She's a, a member of the community. But she does this herself. And she, she, she goes to the schools. She goes to the, like, you know, the Hebrew schools on Sundays in the public schools. And she finds the kids who are having a bar in Bat Mitzvah that year. And she sits with them. And she smoozes with them. And she's really cool. And she's very with it. And, uh, and, and she gets uh, a sort of under their skin as to what is their interest. Like, what is it that they're really interested in doing? And she, she spends months working with them to create a project which will reflect their interest within the framework of Torah. Very interesting. A lot of, a lot of it of it today, of course, in a, in, a, in a society or in a Jewish society which is devoid of Torah itself. I mean, you say, if children aren't really learning Torah, right, and they don't have the basics of understanding Torah, unfortunately, they don't have the tools or they haven't been given the context, then to a, to a large degree, a lot of the, the answers to that is some degree of chesed or tzedakah, which is wonderful. Like, let that, let that be, let that be, because the social element of Judaism remains, which is, which is beautiful. But um, there, 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 there is more. There's, there's more to it. It's an amazing, it's a beautiful thing to be able to sort of connect. So she would spend a year working with these children, and she would ask them things about money and say to, say, say to, the, to, to, to the kids, how do you view money? You know, and they would describe that. What is what is your greatest you know thing that you'd like to get at the, the bamisa? And it's like the boy would say like a Rolex. You know, like and she's like for what? Like for what purposes do you do you want do you want to watch? Well, like what what are you going to be doing with it? That's so important. How much money are you giving from your bamisa gift to Stocker? Zero. Well, why? What are you going to do with that money? That's so important. 
right? Well, maybe there's something you should be thinking about. And these are very important conversations she has, which are sort of like adult conversations about money itself. And then oftentimes she'll get these children to find a project where it's here or in Israel, and they'll make a campaign and collect for that campaign and do the campaign as well, which is a beautiful thing. There's lots of ways of, of and not every child is the same. That's the, that's the point. Not every um, kid is the same. There are, there's certain, we'll call objective bars, and then there's also some sort of subjective bars which need to be done. And it requires, as with anything in life, the more you invest in it, the more it makes a difference. The less you invest in it, it'll just happen. That you'll get through. You know, like, like the rest of life, the river will carry, carry on flowing. Um, but it, it, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot more to this. When it comes to celebration of goals, it's worthwhile noting in, the, in, the, in halachic history that, that there were some posts who were very against it. They said, this is not a thing. We should not make a big thing of this. But it's certainly today, it's, a, it, it, it's certainly today in, in, in which we're blessed in society, where girls are, are being educated, are involved in society, and are, are, um, are usually better <laughs> than the boys when it comes to many aspects of, um, of Torah and understanding. Uh, that for sure there should needs to be, and for all the same reasons. Now the public expression of it may not be the bar of reading the Torah, right? That might be the, be the, the place it is. But the Bad Mitzvah is a celebration of entering into a life of Torah and Mitzvahs, and that should certainly be a, a celebration. It does not mandate flowers, pink DJs, or anything else. That, 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 that's all great. That's all the way of celebrating, but th this should be a meaningful milestone for both boys and girls as entering into the life and Torah mitzvahs. And we should be focusing and trying to find ways to make this transition a transition of joy and transition of responsibility, whatever we do. That's what the Yalkut Yosef says very clearly. Um, Rav Moshe was, uh, was against this, this three-day Aish was, was more open to this. No, he's, he believes that the social sanctuary itself is not the appropriate place, but anywhere else is the appropriate place. Very, very uh, important discussion and um, something which is reflective of, um, of today. But uh, the problem today is the opposite problem. Today, it's, it's toning down. It's like, no, the bar mitzvah should not, the bar mitzvah should not look like a wedding, right? It, so we're going in the opposite direction because in a certain sense we celebrate, we've emphasized the celebration more than the content of the celebration, which is what, what it really actually means, not just the color of the shoes, right? So it has to be much more, much more of what, what are you doing? Like, what, what, what is this all about? What are you accomplished? What learning project? What chesed project? What, and this, that conversation obviously begins three years beforehand. Right, not 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 three months beforehand. What are you going to be learning as a parent, as a grandparent, with your children? Rabbi Yossi, I'm just uh, just thinking about the Siam just recently. Your grandson, like you know, this, the, the, what what is it going to be that 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 is going to matter intergenerationally for this child? This is going to be a meaningful project. What projects are you beginning? I remember actually, um, such a such a powerful thing is um, Michael Weiss when he, when he made I think it was David's bar mitzvah. Um, so, so afterwards, uh, um, Rabbi Storch said to him, so he says, no, like you, you, you did a seum, you know, you did a seum for the bar mitzvah, so now, now what? Like now, now, he's 13, so he's done, we move on to the next one. So, so Michael, Michael made sure to, to have Rabbi Storch learn once a week with David, and then after John, John, uh, uh, Jonathan and Josh, and uh, Joshua, and they learned. And not, Michael didn't outsource it, he sat in the Chivrusa with his sons. And you can see that his sons are all B'nai Torah. I'm just saying that it requires that the Bamis is not the end of the process, it's the beginning of the process of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of learning and continuing. And certainly with the grandchildren as they start coming of age, that's the time, the children, the girls, the boys, time to invest. Now this is, uh, this is a beautiful time to invest in, and, and have a meaningful relationship as well. I'd just like to conclude with one, one perspective, and that is, is the notion of Godless itself. What does it mean to be a, to be a Godol? And uh, we, we talk about a, 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 the stage of being a stage of godless. And uh, the, the, the one very beautiful observation which is made is that 
it describes in the stage of Godless the, by Moshe Rabbeinu, which we just read a few parashiyas ago. It says, by Yigdal Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu grew up. What does it mean? And he went out to see the, the troubles, the difficulties of his brethren, the, the rest of the, the Hebrews. And he, of course, he was a, a conflicted character because he had Hebrew blood, but he was brought up in the palace and it was, things were complicated. She was trying to figure out who he was. But uh, the, the, one of the ideas of Godless, of being a Gadol, as the Ramban explains, as the Medrash explains, is empathy as well. Is a more sophisticated sense of empathy. And if you think about it, uh, if you're to plot life as a, 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 as a graph, in terms of time as the bottom axis, as it usually is, and then you plot the top, the, 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 we'll call it the y-axis, as focus outwards on others as opposed to self, you could plot that graph, whether it's a linear ascent or a logarithmic ascent, where it, it, the, the idea is, is that a child is born completely selfish. Right? And it's very hard, you have to negotiate, because kids look after themselves, want draw to themselves, are not willing to negotiate. And the process of love is allowing that person to become more open to the fact that they're not the only individual in the world. It's not just holding the toy they want, it's not just being in the front of the line, it's not just getting the gift they want, it's being able to expand their sense of consciousness. And so Vayigdal, part of that growth is not just an accomplishment in a party, but it's also the notion of being is empathy beyond self, and that's part of what it means to be part of the community. Being part of the community is not just a club, it's being more, we'll call it, conscious of our national identity, of there being others as well. And Be'ezra Hashem, with that, with that we will, it is, if we give our children the ability to be able to live up to that bar, they will float to that. They will float up to that bar if we actually educate, talk about, give experiences which reflect that, take them along when it comes to these kinds of things. It's remarkable how much children will care and, and want to be part of this process as well. Anyways, a lot, a lot to think about. I, I, a very important stage of life which requires a lot of thought, investment and time.